I'm the Reverend Dr. Jenny McKay, veterinarian and minister in secular employment, environmentalist, activist, and self-confessed cat junkie. But believe it or not, I have never kissed a mummy in Corfu. Someone who has is my guest, Charlie Bell. So, Charlie, I think we need to hear more about this. Was it mummy with a small M or mummy with a large M? <laughs> well, it's a. I think it's a slightly strange tradition in Corfu that um, it's a sort of um, East meets West uh, island. So there's a there's a the mummified remains of a, of one of the major saints uh, on the island, and. Um, I suppose most people, most British people, when they see a queue, join it. And that's essentially what happened. Uh, and I joined the queue and got to the front and realised, well, me and a, a bunch of sort of pretty elderly ladies um, were queuing up to, uh, to kiss a mummy. And I thought, well, in for a penny. So there we are. Right, right. And is this supposed to be something lucky that you do? Doesn't um, bring good fortune. I, I think it was probably the Saints Day, actually, a sense okay. spirit on. Um, but I wasn't I wasn't quite sure exactly why um there was the big procession that day. And unfortunately, my Greek is zero. Uh, and uh, and the the whilst I had a lot of approving looks from, from the people doing it alongside me, um, I wasn't really able to get much information about why the why St. Spiridon was being uh, opened up that day for kissing. But there we are. <laughs> Right. Well, that is uh, definitely a first. I have never mm. come across that one before. <laughs> so um, back to, to you, really. I'm very happy to be speaking to somebody who's got a career in the in the secular world as, as well mm. as the mm. church. There aren't uh, so many of us. No, quite. So how did a career in medicine and clinical psychology lead you into the church? Yeah, so, um, no, you're right. I mean, I suppose I'm I'm pleasantly surprised by the number of people who have secular careers that I've met, but I think that's partly self-selecting because I think we all meet each other. And also where I trained um, uh, down at St. Augustine's in Canterbury, uh, uh, it was, or West Malling really, um, it, it, it's, a, it's a kind of place where you see more of that kind of thing, but, but for lots of people, they don't really meet many of us. Um, and so, so yeah, so, I mean, I was, I was, a, 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 I, I was, you know, aged, I think you have to be about age five when you decide to do medicine, but I, you know, I'd decided to do medicine all the way through. That seemed like the thing I wanted to do, got through to university and so on. And was, you know, got a bit fed up with rote learning. So did some research to try and give myself a bit of a sort of few years out, came back into it and thought, you know, that's it ready for medicine. No problem. But there was this nagging, tiresome, annoying voice that kept saying, are you sure? Uh, and in the end, I thought, right, I'm just going to chat to our uh, our vocations people, say, you know, look, um, there's something funny here. Please tell me it ain't true. Uh, and here we are sort of five, six years later. Wow, that's amazing. But your parents, they were both churchgoers, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, so my mum's uh, still with us and, and goes to church on a sort of, um, you know, not not terribly frequently basis, but go, goes and would call herself certainly a churchgoer. My dad was, was uh, so my dad died about 11, 12 years ago now, um, but was, was, uh, was you know, a, a pretty frequent churchgoer and we went as kids and the rest of it. Um, 
we were I was brought up United Reformed actually and, and we ended up going to the Church of England because I was a chorister uh, down in Chichester and so oh, yeah so it was great and you know that became kind of the norm so I'm certainly not a cradle Anglican if such a thing exists um, but you know so so really it got to the stage where um, where the, very unfortunately the Minister of the United Reform had said to my parents, look, if you're not coming to us every week, um, then I'm not too keen about baptising my sister. And they said, well, you know, our son's a chorister in Chichester, we've got to spread our time between the two. Anyway, that, that, was, that, that fell on um, rather deaf ears and we ended up, unfortunately, for the, well, for the United Reform Church, but, but you know, in a, in, a, in a kind of one of the ways these things work, ended up going to the Anglican Church and here we are. Yeah, op- opened up new doors for you. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm just sitting here and I've got a copy, which the, the people who are listening won't be able to see, but I mm. do have a copy of your book, Queer Holiness, yeah. which is a celebration of the gifts that LGBTQI people give to the church. So this is probably a big question, but what mm. do you think are the main obstacles the Church of England faces in adopting a more open-minded attitude when it comes to diversity yeah it's a good question but as you say it's a kind of it's a tricksy one i mean we've been here for so long in a sense you know this debate has gone on and on and on and on um in so much as it has been a debate um i mean i think one of the one of the 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 things which i've covered a bit in the book and which I've, i've thought about quite deeply is the sort of underlying cultural issues within within the church of england which has made this an issue primarily rather than something about people um and so therefore everything has to fit within that cultural understanding so we need to not say too much or we want to not upset too many people and so on and the more and more you tell yourself this as as an institution the more and more you end up behaving that way so i think we're i think we're in a sort of I think we're in, in a slightly hopeful place at the moment, but I think I do think we have seen uh, what happens when fear rather than honesty um, mm-hmm. takes centre stage. But I think there are lots of reasons behind that. Yeah. And yeah, I think, as you say, they, they probably try and take a line between two groups of people. And you can't please everybody, can you? Yeah, exactly. And the, and the trick is, of course, recognising that there's not an equivalence between one's whole sense of identity being challenged and one's theology being challenged. Um, and for years, it's there's been the sort of um, talk of the kind of gay lobby and the conservative lobby. Um, and actually, that's a fundamentally dodgy way of understanding the situation but that's what's become so normalized that it becomes very difficult to do anything other than try and pursue a middle way which at the moment is basically don't ask don't tell so we're sort of in the u.s military at the turn of the century territory as as, as the church of england yeah but fortunately we do seem to be making some progress particularly in the last few weeks and we've seen some very positive statements coming out from, for example, the Bishop of Oxford. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the Bishop of Oxford speaking from a 
um, a place uh, quite different to mine theologically in terms of uh, wh which stable he comes out of. You know, uh, uh, he is uh, himself, he describes himself as, as a conservative evangelical by background um, and has really done some serious work at, at describing how and why he's got to the place he's got to. And I think that's absolutely key. Um, I think bishops have been sort of, um, I, I think it's six of one and half a dozen of the other, whether they've been forced into a position or whether they find themselves in that position, but they've been in a very difficult position um, and have felt very uncomfortable speaking out. And I think it's enormously helpful that the Bishop of Oxford has not only said, look, I'm in favour of same-sex marriage, and I think it's, it's a matter of justice, amongst other things, but has also shown his working. I think that is absolutely key to making a way forward. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and hopefully his his thought process will will help a lot of other yeah. people as well. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and I know that you mentioned that um, the reaction to queer holiness mm. can be divided into into three groups. And one of those is a change in perspective. Yeah. And I was wondering, had you personally received any feedback from people who have absolutely changed changed their mind on this issue? Yeah, I mean, I think the change of mind has begun in many people's uh, uh, situations because they've they've faced cognitive dissonance. They've they've got friends or family, um, grandchildren, perhaps, or aunts and uncles or whatever it is that themselves are gay and they've seen the good news that comes out of their relationships. They've seen the kind of positive fruits and things from them, which yeah. which are sort of demonstrably true. And yet they're being told at the same time to. Um, that, that nothing good, you know, that kind of um, to, to, to paraphrase the biblical passage, but, you know, nothing can, nothing good can come out of Nazareth. You know, can anything good come out of same sex relationships? And they're looking at them and saying, yes, it can. Um, and I guess what I've tried to do in the book is to sort of lay out some of the groundwork for why that might be the case and what how we might engage with those questions. And for me, that's been the most sort of heartwarming stuff where people have said actually you've made connections between mm -hmm. why we're seeing things and how we can engage with that yes. theologically and biblically and everything else and the only thing that still frustrates me and frustrated me slightly in the response to the bishop of oxford was seeing people misrepresenting what the bishop of oxford has been saying um and saying yes. you know it's just it's just cowing to culture and so on that's just simply not the case and the most exciting conversations are when people realize and understand what you're saying and yeah. then engage with yeah. it absolutely absolutely and I, I mean i'm sure you you feel it has, has been part of the secular world that that people just don't understand this sort of debate in in the church and it can exactly. be very very off-putting to yeah. to normal people <laughs> yeah and we you know we talk about about providing life in all its fullness and but basically what we what we say is that being a member of the church being part of the church should be good news and should be something that i mean it doesn't mean it's going to be easy it doesn't mean any of those things necessarily but it means that it's good news it's more you're going to have a more fulfilled more you know wonderful life with the lord but people look in and say, really? And I think that's that's one of the big challenges. And at the moment, I haven't heard any really serious convincing argument that would that, that I could ever use as a, as a clergy person saying to people outside the church, you know, actually know this because, you know, the, the current the current church teaching is not life giving. No, no, it's uh, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's a very. Uh... Very frustrating topic. Yeah, I know. Right, exactly. I, I know. I know. I'm. You know. I I try and encourage 
I'm interacting with people who probably don't have a lot of faith, mm. you know, and, and it's very, it's very, very um, difficult to, to explain what, what's going on yeah. in, in the church. And I think, I you know, as you've done, you go out, you explain, uh, and, you know, we, we associate with inclusive churches as yeah. well. Exactly. And that's part of it, isn't it? Talking about these things sensibly and seriously. And the thing that's depressed me a little bit is that people are already turned off the church in many ways by what they perceive our perspective to be. And then then when they find out what our rules are and what our is in some places they're even more turned off and so you're yeah. almost having to yes. you know you're you're giving them the reality at which point you have to do a lot of rowing back and saying yes that might be a kind of institutional picture but that's not what an awful lot of of christians um you know lay ordained whoever um would would, yes. would see to to answer this kind of question but but yeah, we, 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 I just think it's such an important missional thing that can't just then be put on the back burner and pushed down the road to mix metaphors. You know, we've got to, we've got to grapple with this and get on with it, really. Absolutely. Well, finger, fingers crossed it'll move in, in that direction. Yeah, quite. So moving on to uh, a slightly different area, what about this uh, Qatari World Cup? Do you wish there'd been more proactive resistance against this tournament from the England camp. You know, yeah, I mean, it's been pretty bad. And and um, even in the last few days, there's been conversations or, or, or st- uh, statements coming out of Qatari ministers and ambassadors, which really not sounded very positive, um, uh, you know, sort of describing uh, homosexuality as an illness in the mind and things. And these are, you know, uh, these are not, this is not where we should be. Um, no. I think it was a mistake. And I think Seth Blatter has, has admitted yeah. the same, that it was a mistake to award the, the World Cup to Qatar. That's not to say that we should then not engage with countries where there are these uh, differences in in kind of policy and, and political perspective. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, you know, if can we really, in all honesty, be sending fans and indeed players to countries where their lives are and certainly their freedoms are at risk? If not in the context of the football, they would be if they went any other time. Yes. Um, and uh, for me, that's a as I think it's it's a really difficult place for us to find ourselves. And I, 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 I guess, in a sense, that most of the concern initially about the, the World Cup being in Qatar was about the heat. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> will we be able to play them, the games? Well, yes, OK, we'll move it to December. Well, that's fine. Um, but actually, the underlying or the ultimate questions here is are much more serious, I think. And I don't think we've given them the, the mm-hmm. level of engagement we should have done. No. And hopefully, you know, if there's a future decision on, on somewhere to have one of these big sporting events, that will be taken into greater consideration. Yeah, I would hope so, yeah. So, Charlie, how, how do you like to relax? If I had to give you a couple of options, for example, Campari on a beach in Italy or cheap wine and pizza on the sofa <laughs> with the University Challenge. It's a tricky one. I mean, I I do like Italy. I do think it's a fantastic. I mean, it's I mean, politically at the moment, it's in all kinds of trouble. But, um, I, you know, I've 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 grown a great love of, of, of southern Europe and I, I do like Italy. And I have to say, 
I struggle when it rains here. I, you know, it's, it's, you know, some people seem to find the October, November, December movement towards Christmas a great joy. Whereas I think not only have I got to get all my clinics sorted, not only have I got to prepare for Christmas, but also it's raining again. So I give, give me, give me, I think in the summer in England, I'd be very happy on the sofa <laughs> with, uh, with pizza, but I think I'm afraid um, around the edges, give me an Italian beach any day. <laughs> I think when the when those clocks go back, it's it's very very hard, isn't it? Oh, it's awful. And I know. I think, I, I, yeah, I try. I try and convince myself it it's summer really until the clocks go back, and then this is it. And it. I remember when I was younger, I left my clocks at the BST just in order okay. to make myself feel a bit better. But and I'm not <laughs> Scots, so there's part of me that kind of feels like. I should enjoy the Drich weather. I sort of look out the window and think, no, no, this is what we're, this is where we came from. But I'm afraid I just can't. I think I'm, I was sun. born in the wrong, the wrong latitude. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I, I definitely feel that. I, yeah. I love France. So oh, um, lovely, yeah. yeah, I would, I would like to be there. <laughs> Never mind. We are where we are. Exactly. But you, you are in um, a very, very nice place. You, you do still live in Cambridge, don't you? I live in London now, so oh, I, right. I, yeah, so I still hold a role in Cambridge, but I live in South London, which is just easier for work, really. Okay, okay. I did uh, my PhD at the vet school, so oh, I, I was there for for four years, um, yeah. and I loved it. Yeah. Very, very difficult place to yeah. leave, um, but I know you are involved with biochemistry teaching yeah. to medical undergraduates, and that's at Girton College, yeah. isn't it? That's right. Yeah. So I've been in Girton or been at Girton for about five years now. Um, but I sort of I sort of did that odd thing where in medicine, because I did my my PhD in the middle of my my medical oh, yeah. degree, I sort of became a sort of sort of academic whilst still finishing my medical training. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a strange old world, Cambridge, but it's very addictive. Um, and Kate and Girton for me fulfills the kind of Cambridge experience whilst also being a kind of outward facing um, modern college that has a has a kind of drive and purpose beyond um, having nice dinners in candlelit settings. Oh, yes. there's, there's, a yes. sort of, there's a real there's a real um, mission to, to, to Girton, which I really identify mm -hmm. with. Was that one of the first women's colleges as well? Yeah, absolutely. So it was. I think it was the first um, uh, institution for the education of women to higher uh, to higher level beyond school mm -hmm. um, in the country. Um, and it was uh, originally founded just outside of Cambridge, and it's now a little bit further outside of Cambridge than most of the colleges. Yeah. Um, but it's. I mean, you know, we were. I think it's. I think we're 150. Well, we had our 150th anniversary. I think two years ago. Okay. So. Um, we've, but you know, extraordinarily, until the late forties, we were educating women, but the university wouldn't give them degrees. Um, so Girton has really been right at the forefront of of women's education for a long time, and has has moved probably in the last. Uh, so well, since since men have, have joined the college, has mm. continued that drive towards uh, women's education promoting um, women in the workplace, promoting women in education, but also other elements of diversity and so on, which has been really key. Um, so, no, Girton's a, it's a serious place and it's, you know, mm -hmm. and our results are good as well. So we somehow <laughs> managed to hold everything together. That's fantastic. So I guess just meeting these these younger people and, and hearing their views, that's another nice aspect to your, yeah. to your work and your interests. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And meet, you know, uh, as you were hinting at earlier, 
we we meet people in our day you know in our day jobs i meet them in my, amongst my students for whom um you know the conversations over sexuality and things are just you know it's just it's not even that it's 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 something that people are affirming of it's something that people are just sort of uh, almost look at you in 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 <laughs> horror that you're having these discussions or conversations and and that's changed even since i was an undergraduate so, i mean the, the, my undergraduates are just in a completely different place but yeah. But, you know, they are, it is, it is wonderful to have conversations with them because what I think is kind of pretty progressive, they'll then mm. challenge me and I'll think, my goodness, I'm a sort of fussy old conservative. So it's really <laughs> quite helpful to have those conversations. And I just love the opportunity to do that really in the university setting. Yeah, that's wonderful. That's really good. So I, I do know that you are at the 60th anniversary of mm. the Jamaican Independence Celebrations at, at St. John the Divine in the summer. So, so how was that? Yeah, it was extraordinary. I mean, St. John the Divine's congregation is, has a large number of people who have been associated with the Windrush generation. Mm. So either themselves or, or um, family that, that had, had people that, that, were in, that were either you know, on the Windrush, but were actually often were people that, that were associated with that, that kind of time of, of high immigration to the UK. Um, and it's the whole, um, the whole sort of narrative of the parish is one of celebration, really, celebrating um, the diversity in the community. Um, you know, interestingly, when people come to our church, the sort of norm in many ways would be would be a kind of um, Barbados or Jamaican mm -hmm. background or West African, perhaps. So and actually, if you're not from those backgrounds, we've had a lot of folk from South America that have joined us recently. Uh, it's very interesting oh, to kind of right. have a church which from which you know the experience and the, mm -hmm. and the difficulties that people faced initially when when coming to the church many years mm -hmm. ago they've rather than, than than kind of becoming angry or or bitter or frustrated about that have used those to ensure that the place is more and more hospitable and they challenge us all the time so yeah it's great and i mean my goodness uh, uh, you know uh, a caribbean party is uh, yeah. is something else uh, we, have, <laughs> we have you know rum is flowing the food is fantastic the music is loud you know it's a serious, a serious um, it's party. a serious place a serious party yeah absolutely wonderful I, well it's great you know that they've been able to turn around some of some of the awful experiences they've had yeah. into yeah. into something positive exactly and i think we need to hold those experiences and mm. sort of recognize what what happened in many parishes where you know uh, even in what we now think of as kind of multicultural london life was not easy for folk who yeah. were um, who were black, who were coming into congregations like ours. Um, there were issues of representation, there were issues of, of lack of friendliness, there was overt racism. But yeah, I mean, just the tribute to these these guys who have, you know, gone That's through wonderful. all of that and, yeah. and have used it to make things better for next generations is just extraordinary, really. So that is London at its best, really, in the in a multicultural yeah. sense, isn't it? I think so. I mean, there's always more work to do and, you know, and no parish should sit on its, in it, on its laurels, really. But, you know, we we're aware of 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 things going on in South London. We, you know, we're aware of the, the rich history which we have. And I think um, every year we try to see what we can do to, to make things a bit better for, um, for for communities in South London, not by kind of doing things to them, but by yeah. because our church is so full of people from different communities, mm -hmm. trying to listen to them, trying to engage with them, trying to to allow them to actually lead in many ways on on how okay. we as a church respond to, you know, local challenges, national challenges and so on. Have you had quite a few Ukrainian refugees as well? 
Um, we haven't had that many in our area of London, and I think that's just because there are certain parts of London where um, there have been more and there are certain areas where there have been fewer. So we've done um, various fundraising events and so on in order to um, try to play our part in doing that. Um, and I know that um, there's a large number in Lewisham, for example, um, that, that's just down the road. So we've engaged with a kind of national church and local diocese on that. But we haven't actually had a very large stream of, of Ukrainian refugees in Kennington, which is presumably just based on where there is housing and, and the rest yes. of it. Yeah. Yes, yes. I, th I think they're, they're spread out to quite a number of the, of the big cities, aren't they? Yeah, right, yeah exactly. So you have an extremely busy life. Yes. Um, what's next on the horizon for you, Charlie? It's an excellent question. I wish I knew the answer. <laughs> um, I always say I've never planned anything before, so I don't intend to start now. I mean, <laughs> I, you know, I'm coming to the end of medical training um, in the next couple of years, which I'm delighted by. Um, I'm sure it's the same in vet meds. They sort of, you just never seem to finish no. training. And so I'm delighted about that. Um, and we'll see what that leads to. Um, my interest really is in, in the forensic end of psychiatry. So, um, okay. so I'd hope to kind of get a, a forensic consultant job. I don't feel called to be full time in the church, um, even if the church was really hospitable um, mm, to, mm. to LGBT people, which it isn't. But if, if it was, even if it was, I don't think that that's where I am at this point in time. But who knows? I'd like to go and do something useful. Um, that, yes. that, that's the key. Well, you have a great gift, haven't you? You've, you've mm. done such a long training mm. in, in medicine and, and yeah. not to use that would be yeah. would be such a shame. Exactly. And that's what the bishop who put me forward, the Bishop of Ely, and I remember one of our early conversations, that was one very clear thing that, mm. that we discussed between us, which was, you know, uh, there is there is some a serious amount of medical training that's gone on here. Yeah. Let's not let's not lay that aside just yet. And I think that's yeah. the right decision. Excellent. Well, it's been really, really wonderful to to listen to your answers to my Delvin questions. <laughs> and um I shall look forward maybe at some time in the future to go to Corfu and oh, yes. uh, find one of these mummies myself. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Charlie, thank you very, very much. Great, thank all, you. All the best. Thanks.